this is Shanta Rochelle and you're watching AM to DM. On today's show, we're debating the best reality shows of the decade, so you know we're gonna need you to weigh in. So we'll see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg, she's Chantal Rochelle, and you are watching AM to DM. Uh, you're back. Back again. Yay. Yes, Friday. Oh, so happy we made it. So happy that we made it. We have a big show today for everyone, too. I'll be sitting down with Henry Hunter Hall to talk about uh, the film Harriet. And then I'm also talking to Karen Pittman about The Morning Show, highly anticipated from Apple TV+. And then we shall debate our favorite reality TV shows oh, of the 2010s. Let's get to it. <laughs> yes, so can't wait for that. Let's get this conversation going early and take it to the timeline. What's the best reality show of the decade? Tweet us using the hashtag am to dm Here's a tweet from C. Michael Jones. Trailer out now. First episode of Making Beyonce comes out November 15th from WBEZ podcast that brought you Making Obama and Oprah. Okay, so I opened up my podcast app this morning and okay. I saw that the trailer for the show had dropped and I was very excited because I loved the Making Obama and Making Oprah podcasts. Mm -hmm. I love hearing about the things that make just these incredibly successful and impactful people who they are. Yes. And it sounds like that's what we're gonna get from this one. Are we hearing from like actual people who are part of her childhood, people who are actually there? Like, are we, okay. Yeah, so, so it sounds like we'll get some experts. Um, there was a great quote in the trailer from someone who said like, the Beyonce that we know now has been that Beyonce since she was a child. Wow. So, which is really something to and hear she's about. she's kept like the same people around her, like their entire career. So that says something. I mean, yeah. And so this drops in a couple of weeks. Um, and it's gonna be three episodes, and I'm ready. I just three can't episodes wait. is it? I know, I know, three? I know. And a lot of times in these podcasts, they actually interview the person themselves. Like they always have incorporated at least like one interview Are with them. So I went. They didn't tease it, so I'm Even not if trying she to get anybody's five seconds. Up. Just hello, and then hang up. I'll, I'd be happy. That's it. That's that would it. be good enough for me. Good exactly. For me. Exactly. Well, let's take it to the timeline. Do you remember the moment you became a Beyonce fan? Tweet us using the hashtag #AmToDM. Did you have a precise moment when you were like? This is it for me. I would say seeing them in the early uh, age, her early um, age at Destiny's Child, but when she came back solo to the Houston Rodeo as a solo artist, I said, there she is, there <laughs> she is, all her glory. That's what I knew. Like She was like a superstar forever, yeah. Yeah. for sure. What about you? My moment was when she performed Dangerously in Love at the 2004 Grammys. Mm. And that was the moment where I was like, yes, she is a superstar in her own right, and I will now be committed to this woman's work That's for the rest of her life. Give your devotion so, to Beyonce. Yeah, but precisely. All right, yeah. Well, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter Addie Baird. The resolution affirming the inquiry and outlining its next steps passes. Here's a tweet from Kyle Griffin. The public-facing part of House Democrats' impeachment inquiry could begin as soon as mid-November when the House comes back into session after a brief recess next week. Addie joins us now to talk about an eventful day on the Hill. Welcome. Hi. Okay, so it's no surprise that the House passed the resolution to formalize the impeachment inquiry. Um, what does it mean, though, for the investigation? So this inquiry basically outlines, or the, the, the resolution outlines the next steps of the inquiry, which um, is going to include public hearings. It also outlines um, the release of some valuable documents and transcripts um, and, and really just sort of like sets everything up moving forward for, for this impeachment inquiry. And Addie, we had two House Democrats that were basically voted against the resolution. Who were they and why did they take this approach? Yeah, so the two Democrats who voted against it were Jeff Van Drew and Colin Peterson. They both um, have been 
probably the most vocal critics um, from the Democratic caucus of the impeachment inquiry. Um, Jeff Van Drew said that he believes um, that moving forward uh, in this way is going to be really divisive for the country. And Colin Peterson said that he's not ready to vote on impeachment in any way until he's seen all the evidence and is able to make a full decision about everything. Now, we know for Republicans, this was a vote across party lines. Um, What was their response to the resolution? They have basically said that this resolution means that they were right all along. They've been arguing that Democrats needed to take a floor vote um, for about a month and a half since Democrats officially started um, this impeachment inquiry. They don't. Legally, there's no requirement that they take a floor vote, but Republicans have been arguing that. They basically say that this um, proves that they are right. This proves that Democrats are disorganized. No Republican voted for it, and they were absolutely thrilled to be able to um, really have to have nobody break ranks. And like you mentioned, two Democrats did vote against it, and they have made a big deal of the bipartisan opposition, which you know is a little ridiculous considering it was just two Democrats. <laughs> and there is so much going on here. Like, will we start seeing in the coming weeks any type of transcripts or documents? documentation start to surface? Yeah, as early as next week, we could get transcripts from some of these closed door depositions and we're going to have public hearings really soon. So this is going to be, this has already been, I think, for people on the Hill, the only story. I think this is going to start to feel like the only story in the world pretty soon. Hmm. Now, one of the latest testimonies in the impeachment inquiry uh, is from NSC official Tim Morrison. Um, What did he say and uh, how does his narrative counter a lot of what we've heard so far? Yeah, well, it's interesting. In some ways, he really just corroborated the testimony of um, people like Bill Taylor, who uh, were able to talk a lot about the quid pro quo um, that is at the heart of of this inquiry. Um, And he did say that he, uh, you know, that he was aware of the aid money being held up to Ukraine and and corroborated uh, Bill Taylor's testimony. He did say, however, and made a point to say that he didn't think that there was anything wrong with Trump's call with Ukraine, um, which which is different. A lot of these, um, from what we've been able to get from these closed door depositions, a lot of them have said that they thought that there was a huge problem with the the call that's at the center of this inquiry. Hmm. Now, here's a tweet from you, actually. There was not a word from Pelosi about the fact that Katie Hill says her abusive, estranged husband was behind the release of the photos, something that every journalist talking about this and every politician talking about this should absolutely note. Um, Katie Hill's last act as a congresswoman was to vote to formalize the impeachment inquiry. Um, What else did Pelosi have to say about her? Yeah, so Katie Hill resigned officially yesterday. Um, It's been, I think, about two weeks since nude photos of her were released without her consent. She did acknowledge and apologize that she dated a campaign staffer, um, which is a huge problem. But I think that two things can be true. That is a really, like, you shouldn't date your subordinates and also she was a victim of revenge porn. These photos were released without her consent, and that is a crime. That is illegal. And when Pelosi was asked yesterday if she thought that it was right for Hill to resign, she said it was Hill's decision and went on to say that she thinks that this proves uh, that women should be careful, people should be careful. Um, And, and, you know, I I think that that's maybe... um, not the most comprehensive way to talk about this story, especially because Hill does say that, that that her abusive husband was behind the release of these photos. And I just think that um, it's most appropriate to note that when we're talking about Katie Hill. Yeah, I'm so glad that we're finally getting to that piece of this conversation, uh, you know, as we see this news cycle go on through the week. Yeah, for yeah. sure. There's yeah. a lot going on here. Well, Addie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I just want to say Vanderpump rules. 
best oh, reaction. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that, that will be a, a point for one of us. I won't say who at, at this time. Uh-huh, now, not right so. now. We'll let you know, though. <laughs> Here's a tweet from John Gushu. Deadspin staff were ordered to stick to sports. A top editor was fired for defying it, and now most of the staff have quit. Joining us now is staff writer at the New Republic, Alex Shepard. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. Now, can you walk us through what exactly happened at Deadspin and why so many staffers have resigned? Yeah, I mean, I think that the story really begins uh, in April this year when Great Hill Partners, a private equity firm, uh, purchased Deadspin and the other former Gawker Media properties. Uh, Over the next several months, they sort of increasingly seem to have become uncomfortable with the site's uh, ethos, which has been established for over a decade, uh, and particularly the uh, reporting that they do about uh, about the their own company, uh, and you know, in August, Megan Greenwell, who was the site's editor in chief, uh, she quit over uh, meddling from Jim Spanfeller, the site's or the uh, uh, Geo Media CEO. And uh, over the next couple months, you saw uh, them increasingly make uh, editorial content decisions that ordinarily uh, senior leadership in these sites don't make. Over the last couple of days, this escalated dramatically. They sent a memo to the staff telling them that they could no longer write about anything that didn't have to do with sports, uh, which you know is an obvious provocation, something that's completely contrary to the spirit of the site. Uh, when Deadspin didn't do this, they fired Barry Pacheski, its uh, longest-serving member. Uh, and then basically over the next 24 hours, uh, the majority of the staff resigned in protest. Okay, so the majority of the staff have now resigned in protest. Um, are there any other actions that they could take, uh, any sense of plans uh, of what they might do? Uh, I think we're all sort of watching the uh, GMG union, which represents them, to see what they're going to do. Uh, I'm not entirely uh, sure what they have planned yet. Uh, but I think that you know what we're going to see over the next coming, uh, the next few days is, I think, a referendum about private equity's role in media. And I think in uh, in business uh, in a larger sense as well. Last night, Bernie Sanders tweeted about uh, the sort of insidious impact that uh, that these firms have had on on the media industry. And uh, from talking to people over there, my sense is that they're uh, trying to turn this into a referendum on on private equity itself. Oh wow! And Alex, do we know why in particular Deadspin wants to focus primarily solely on sports reporting? Like, what's so significant about that? Well, I think that the the idea behind the sort of edicts was that they uh, Geo didn't want a site to be unique or creative at all. They wanted a content farm. They want something that they can just put highlights on and and sort of you know smack um, uh, just cookie cutter headlines over, and then you know hopefully profit. I think the silly thing about all of this is that they've shown themselves to be uh, Geo's leadership has shown themselves to be completely inept at making business decisions. They've sort of spammed advertising on the website. And, you know, you could maybe argue in some macro sense that they have a plan. It's just that that plan hasn't been working at all. Whereas, you know, Deadspin has a 13-year track record of both uh, attracting a very large audience and making money. It was a profitable website. And I think this meddling, it, it, you know, there might be some private equity reason, which is that they wanted to artificially inflate metrics and then sell it off to some other sucker. But, uh, you know, from the perspective of making a website, which is not an easy thing to do, uh, they've completely uh, shifted or they tried to completely shift the site's mandate. And now they're left uh, holding a husk of what was once one of the greatest sites uh, that we've seen. 
Yeah, uh, a content farm, that is just incredibly depressing, um, but it's not exactly the first time something like that uh, has happened to a beloved website. Um, so how is this indicative uh, of larger shifts or issues in the media landscape right now? Yeah, I mean, what you've seen over the last few years, I mean, private equity has taken over everything, right? There's cheap capital. Uh, so you've got these sort of corporate raiders who are roving around. You saw this with you know, Toys R Us uh, last year as well. Um, Mostly in media, it's been sort of local newspaper. The Denver News was the um, was the kind of poster child of private equity's you know awful uh, influence over media. I think Tronk is is also indicative. Um, with Deadspin, I think it's it's escalated dramatically because it's not just. I think people have a sense that their local newspaper is dying, right? And Facebook and Google are largely responsible for that—the monopolization of the ad business. But with Deadspin, this is, I think, the first time you've seen a sort of enormously popular national website with a hugely devoted audience uh, fall prey to basically these private equity goons who don't know what they're doing, who you know either load these sites up with debt or dramatically shift their mandate in, in the hopes of basically scamming some other uh, sucker. Private equity goons noted. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Thanks so much. All right, coming up, Alex is talking to Harriet star Henry Hunter Hall. But up next is Fire Tweets. Fire! Fire! Welcome back. Um, now, we mentioned at the start of the show that we'll be breaking down our favorite reality shows of uh, the past decade, and we're already getting some of your responses, so please keep them coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We want to see them. Yes. Especially if they are some of my favorite reality yes. shows. But give, me, give me some points in my corner. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to get to these tweets. Lena, you tweeted, some of you were never the third friend that had to walk behind when the sidewalk was too narrow. And it shows. Wow. Yeah, wow. you don't understand. Too real. You know, been there before. But now we're in the front of the line now. Yes, moving <laughs> on up. All right, next up. Diane, you tweeted, smuggling pad to the bathroom like it's some sort of illegal drug got to be the worst adaptation to patriarchy. You know, I ask myself, a grown woman, why am I still hiding this why? shit? Why? 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 Would I any would... man hide this shit? You know, you would not. You'd have a wide out in the open. There you go. Okay. Jeez. Oh, Queen Maha, you tweeted, me on my way to annoy my mom when I'm bored. Yeah. And this was a big mood for me in middle school. I'd be like, I'm bored. Okay, gonna go let's pester go my mom. mom. <laughs> Typical day, right? I mean, truly, it's just, who doesn't do that? Yeah. All right, Casey, you tweeted. If I worked at Popeye's, Saturday would be my last day. <laughs> Done. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Sunday, please. I'm not showing up. No, I know. It's the last day. I know. I'm, not, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to join that lady on the bench. She was tired. I am bracing for these poor Popeye's workers who Sunday is going to be stressful. Yes, yeah. they deserve like a raise for yes, sure. Yes, indeed. All right, right today. This comes from Mia Lewis. Remember, overdressed is a social construct created by your haters. Do you agree? I, I do agree. I feel yeah. like you can also just ask what the dress code is. I feel like you that can, can also, also help. That can yeah. also help. also help the situation just a tad bit, just a bit. Yeah. Do you prefer to be overdressed or underdressed? I think it depends on the occasion, but I'd like to like look more prepared, so a little overdressed, a better underdressed. If I'm going to like a fancy occasion, it depends on the context, right? Like, yeah. But I would prefer to be, you know, overdressed yeah. if anything. I think I, I would also actually prefer to be overdressed yeah. because it would really uh, like the worst feeling would be walking in somewhere in like jeans exactly. where everybody's in like. Because that's how gown. you'd really stand that's, out. There you go. Sure. That's my fear. Well, let's take it to the timeline. Would you rather overdress or underdress? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. Hmm. 
All right, y'all, coming up, Alex is sitting down with Henry Hunter Hall, but up next, I'm revealing something exciting I've been working on. Applause all around. <laughs> <laughs> BuzzFeed's Cocoa Butter has an incredible new show on the way. The era takes a trip down memory lane in an exciting way. Chantal is the executive producer and host. So let's take a look. This week's Cocoa Butter's The Era is brought to you by the one and only Loretta Devine. She'll be talking black sisterhood, TV, film, and cinema, and we'll be talking about some of the most iconic moments in her career. Make sure you tune in. All right, this looks amazing. Can you tell me how it came to be? Uh, this is my baby. So this is an exclusive on am to dm So this show was pitched earlier uh, this year to Facebook Watch. The idea of this show came about because I have this huge, huge fashion, passion, excuse me, of making sure that we're giving cultural icons, specifically black culture icons, their flowers, why they are still alive. We have this notion sometimes that people have to be damn near 80 to like, you know, be thanked and to be like congratulated on things and be celebrated. And I think that no matter what contribution you've made, if it's been impactful, let's let's hear from these people themselves. So we have an amazing group of people who talk about their specific contributions in the 90s. So we just look at it through the lens of their eyes and what they did. I love that celebrating people while they're still here exactly. to, to feel all the good feelings. Exactly. Who are some of the people you got to talk to? Oh my gosh, still coming down from the high of just talking to these icons. Talk to June Ambrose, talked about style icon, talked to Quest Love mm -hmm. of The Roots, talked to Loretta Devine, Queen, talked to Debbie Allen. It was just amazing to like dig into stories of Tay Diggs talking about the, the rise of the black rom-com. So, so many gems were shared. I'm so excited to share with the world. Can you tell us any of those gems now? Give yes. us a little, a little teaser. Yes. So we had a few amazing, like, moments where like Questlove talked about the 1995 Source Awards and how Tupac and the whole West Coast, East Coast beef and how he had to run out the, of the, 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 you know, the center of the theater and someone slid a mixtape into his coat and when he got in the car and he wow. listened to it, it was the brown sugar. It wow. was D'Angelo. So he shared that gym with us and Debbie Allen talked about how she got inspired Ellen Pompeo to direct and how she also inspired Denzel Washington to direct an episode of Grey's Anatomy. So, so many different, you know, nuggets of the 90s and cultural icons talking about things that they contributed to. It was like, kind of just like, Oh my gosh, it was so cool, it was awesome. So where can we watch the show? You can watch this on November 8th on Facebook Watch, on Cocoa Butter's Facebook page to be exact. Um, our first episode will be with Loretta Devine where she talks about waiting to exhale, being on the set with like Whitney Houston and the girls' time they had. So it was pretty surreal, it was, it's awesome. All right, this sounds so exciting. I can't wait to watch, so thank you so much for telling me a little bit about of it. Of course. And up next, I'm talking with Karen Pittman who stars in The Morning Show. We've been eagerly awaiting the release of The Morning Show, Apple TV's first show about the cutthroat world of morning television, and it is finally here. I'm joined now by one of its stars, Karen Pittman. Welcome. Well, it's so great to be here at AM to DM. Is this bringing back memories? Oh, it does. For you? Five, four, three, two, <laughs> no one. You just go straight into it. It's really great. Thanks well, for having me. Yeah. Well, I have been really excited about this show, not yeah. only because I work on morning television, of course. well, morning internet television, I should say, um, but also just because of all the intrigue. Um, are you so happy that it's finally out? You finally get to talk about it. I feel like a kid on Christmas Day, really. I mean, we worked on this so hard for months mm -hmm. and months. And now we finally get to share it with the world and like hundreds of millions of people around the world. So I'm really excited. Dropping three episodes today, mm -hmm. November 1st. And uh, and then every episode uh, 
every week after after that for, to add up to 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be great. So you play a producer uh, on the show. Yes. What did you learn about the wild world of producing morning television? I think that adrenaline that yeah. happens on live TV that doesn't happen anywhere else, it's really in the writing and what they uh, present and direct in the production values of the morning show, our show. They really get that in you as an actor as you're going through it. I, I learned that that is very, it's frightening. It's like, you know, sort of, freaky and um uh but that's really it yeah mm-hmm. that live aspect of it and mm-hmm. how adrenalized it can get now i'm not going to give away any spoilers but i do want to say that the specter of some things that have happened in the actual news hangs over the show in yeah. particular uh you know some of what happened with matt lauer oh, sure. feels present yeah. what was it like uh to be making this show as all of that was also unfolding well you know when we were making the show it was this time last year so you know we didn't know mm-hmm. anything about ronan farrell's book mm-hmm. we obviously mentioned harvey weinstein in the show because all the revelation of what happened with him was really the start of what we culturally call now the Me Too movement. Um, But I I really want to give a lot of credit to the writers and the directors and the producers of the story and how we go down into these characters. Um, The arc of of the relationships in the story are really from their imagination. Mm. What they created in the stories they wanted to tell about these characters really don't have anything to do Mm. with what we're reading about now in the news. So Mm -hmm. um, I want to give a lot of credit to them. It it is not a a show about Ronan Farrow's book. It's a much deeper dive into what we're dealing with Mm. culturally. How do you feel about how the show handled those kinds of power dynamics? I think they did a great job. They examined it from the perspective of a lot of different women. I mean, there's Jennifer Aniston's character, and she's Alex Levy. She's in front of the camera. And there's my character, Mia Jordan, and she's behind the camera. She represents that sort of ordinary, everyday woman who's working Mm -hmm. really hard in a male-dominated company. And, like, nobody knows what that feels like. (laughs) Uh, We all know what that feels like. (laughs) Um, They also write in a, as far as the power dynamics or, or, or gender politics, they also write quite uh, sympathetically to the men mm-hmm. in the storytelling. So I think that a lot of men will be aligned with, you know, what we say about uh, Mitch Kessler's mm-hmm. character and Chip's character in the show and the men that they see presented. I mean, it's it's a fair and nuanced approach to storytelling, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to read something that, uh, that you actually tweeted a quote from the show, um, which is, America wants to trust that oh. the person telling them the truth about the world is an honest person. What do you think is the show's message about the state of news right now? I think that it's a commentary and an <laughs> observation on uh, on where we are with our, our media. You know, a lot of what we get, um, we hope, is objective, um, uh, professional presentation of journalism. But I think we're we're, we're tipped in different ways uh, in our society, and it's pulling us mm. apart. Where we find ourselves at extremes. I think what, if the morning show does anything really well, it, it demonstrates that we, uh, for the most part, are on common ground. Mm-hmm. We all care about mm-hmm. a lot of the same mm-hmm. things. We're all dealing with a lot of the same things in the workplace, at home. We all have persona that we're trying to deal with and at work and at home. And I think at its best, it's a commentary on where we all are mm-hmm. and how we all need to come mm-hmm. together versus pointing fingers and placing blame. Yeah, it's just such a complicated time. It is. Yeah. yeah. Now, you also said in an interview that Reese Witherspoon would text you after, good job, after watching the dailies. Reese Witherspoon texted me once after a day of work, and it was, (laughs) she has no idea, but it made my 
whole week. Uh, <laughs> she's a executive producer on the show as well as Jennifer Aniston. And so, you know, anytime you would get a positive word from these women I while mean, you were working. Yeah, I mean, they've been yeah. in the industry for decades and um, they were very involved in all of the casting and all of the writing and all of the, you know, giving notes on, on what we were doing for all the characters. I mean, they were involved in the entire orchestra mm. that ends up being the morning show. So it was really great. It was inspiring and it, and it made you want to work harder, actually. Mm. Now, outside of this show, uh, you play Paul Rudd's boss in oh, his Netflix right. show, <laughs> Living With Yourself. He is um, so good at that. Okay, so I want to know, is he as delightful in person as he seems oh to be? Oh my God, he's fun, he's funny. You know, he's a family man, yeah. you know. he. Um, but I will say he was super focused, you know, to do two characters yeah. at the same time, I think, uh, and have such a nuanced approach to each character is really the hallmark of Paul's work. And so that was a lot of fun to watch him do it. Okay, Steve Carell also seems very delightful in person. Yeah. Is is one of the more delightful, Paul Rudd or Steve Carell? It's a good question. It's a tough one. Um, is Paul or Steve more delightful? I think I'm going to have to say no comment. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Please Some of that media <laughs> trading from the morning show. <laughs> I know. They're both great. They well, really are. Listen, it has been so fun talking to you. Congratulations oh. on the show. Thank you. The morning show premieres today, today on the Apple TV app with an Apple TV Plus subscription. Up next, I'm sitting down with Harriet Star, Henry Hunter Hall. I feel like we need to talk about your outfit, too. We I didn't have we we time for that. It's so tight. Here's a tweet from Audrey Fox. I'd like to be the first to say that Henry Hunter Hall is a goddamn star in Harriet. He is so good and charming and steals so many of his scenes. And here with me now is Henry Hunter Hall, one of the stars of the new movie, Harriet. Welcome. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, just, you know, keep it casual. Just keep it casual. Thanks, Thanks, I'm, I'm surprised you pulled that up. Cool. <laughs> well, listen, um, a film about Harriet Tubman is so, so, so overdue. So how does it feel to be part of this moment? I mean, incredible. Like, I think it's super needed and part of the culture, and I think it's necessary, and I think that's why it's manifested. Like, today it's opening, you know? Like, yeah. it's manifested at the right time, but it's, I mean, people have been trying to make it for, like, 20 years. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 been a process trying to get it made. I mean, the script was, like, written five years ago or something. Mm -hmm. It's been a while. Well, speaking of the process, Casey Lemons, the director, is also your mom. Um, what did it take to get this role? From my birth giver. Um, <laughs> she, I auditioned three times. I auditioned once for her, and then she sent it to casting, and they were like, he's a little bit green. And then I auditioned for casting, um, and then they were like, okay, we'll send it to the producers, and then I auditioned for the studio. And then the studio was like, um, yeah, we, we, we can see it happening. Yeah. You know, and then I, it was all on me to kind of go with that. Were you ever kind of over her shoulder as she was working on it, being like, I could be, I could do that? Oh, yeah. What, you mean shadowing her for, like, directing? Yeah, or, or, um, or just even just to have a role in the film. Yeah, well, I definitely knew when I read the script that I wanted to play this character. Yeah. It was just about getting it. Yeah. Because you know, there was so many other people kind of in the sphere of who they wanted, and I was, like, the last kind of resort, obviously. Um, but it worked out, and I'm, I'm really happy it worked out. Did you feel any pressure on set working with her? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, she was like, do not mess this up for me. She really was. She was like, "This, you're given this one chance, Hunter. Don't mess it up, you know? And so I hope 
I pleased. I mean, clearly <laughs> reviews are in, and I think I feel like you can, yeah, you know, I can feel very good. Back and feel like, very good about put my hands here, and yeah. Well, it was fully a family affair because um, your father, who is a producer, director, and actor, Vondi Curtis Hall, um, right. is also in the film. Um, did he give you any advice about acting or even uh, working with your mom? Well, uh, like my dad records all my auditions, mm-hmm. which is like such a blessing. Um, but he. I didn't really do any scenes with him. So mm-hmm. the first day, it was day one, and he had the first scene straight off the bat. And kind of like, I got to watch him work, um, which was like more kind of, I understood more just by watching him work. And I understood more by watching my mom work with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it gave me a more insight on how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with my dad before. I was like eight years old, and we did a movie called Waist Deep. Um, he also was very hard on me um, and was like, don't mess up my movie. <laughs> and I was eight. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's always like a privilege to, to watch him work, you know. Yeah. And he did give me like little advice to like the language of how my mother uses. Hmm. She's like an actor's director. Mm-hmm. So the language that she uses is very helpful to mm-hmm. get into character mm-hmm. or yeah, well, I want to talk more about your character specifically. We actually, we have a clip, so let's take a look. I want off my services. What services they be? Well, I can do most in a job. A to Z. Know the woods and rivers around here. Most folks in them. Name's Walter. Why should I trust you, Walter? Most folks definitely should not. But I figure, since you talk to God, it seemed like he talked back. Maybe you could. Introduce us. I got some explaining to do. Mm, how would you describe Walter? Um, okay, so Walter's like, he's a mercenary and he sells his services to kind of the, the white folk around him and to anyone that is willing to give him wages. Um, and he doesn't know if he's gonna die at any time. You know, someone might pull a gun on him. So like when we first meet him, he is going to kind of betray Harriet mm. and he's like, I've seen her. Mm-hmm. And um, to Gideon, who's the main kind of antagonist of mm-hmm. it, and he's like, I've seen her, and this is a sketch of her, and I'm only asking for a dollar, and I can lead you there, because he does a whole bunch of stuff. He's like a tracker, he like makes boats, mm-hmm. he can write, he's, he's an artist, he does all these things, and it's all self-taught. Um, and he's kind of like this mercenary who's like, he's like the artful doctor mm-hmm. of kind of this world, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I don't want to give too much away yeah. about his evolution yes. or what happens. But what was your the favorite arc. thing? What was your favorite thing about playing him? Um, I, I think the my favorite thing about playing him is like within the world he was kind of the other character. He was kind of the outside character, mm-hmm. and I think that was I had so much room to play and develop this character because it's based off of someone, but there's not that many inf- that not that much information on this guy. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had room to do whatever I really mm. wanted, which mm. was nice. When you're playing Harriet, you kind of got to stick to being Harriet. Or when you're playing William Still, you have to kind of do research and kind of build that character. While Walter, uh, I could be whoever I wanted, really. Mm. Well, speaking of some of those other parts, um, the cast, of course, includes several multi-talented talented people who both act and sing, uh, including two Tony winners, uh, Cynthia Erivo, Leslie Odom Jr., and Janelle Monet. Yes. What was it like getting to work with such incredible folks? I mean, Cynthia is like the best, one of the best actors I've ever worked with, honestly. Like every scene, she made me so much better. Like she's, she's next level, like mm-hmm. top tier. 
Leslie, we we didn't. We, our mm. scenes were kind of separate. Our worlds are separate. And then Janelle, like that's just. I mean, she's yes. a rock star. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, yeah. It was just great to meet her and talk to her, and we, you know, become now friends. Like, it's great. It's. It's cool. Like she's she's amazing. We didn't have any scenes together, <laughs> but I was definitely on set the I, I, day she was working. Yes, yes. I was behind As the monitor, like, be. oh my god. Yeah, you're a goddess. Well, one of the things that you mentioned is that in, in some ways it was easier for you to have a character not as rooted in history that you kind of got to figure out along the way. Yeah. Are there challenges to doing a project that is um, both rooted in history and also just so highly anticipated? Mm, yeah, I think there's def- definitely a lot of pressure because you don't mm-hmm. want to mess it up for people or or Harriet but I truly and we've been saying this I felt like Harriet was on mm-hmm. set in spirit with us kind of guiding us so we had like this this amazing kind of light around all of us that we it was it was going to work out but yes of course there's a lot of pressure when you're like making the first Harriet Tubman movie mm-hmm. it's huge I mean mm-hmm. um I think definitely my mom had a lot of pressure on mm-hmm. her and I'm glad to see her kind of coming out on the other side mm-hmm. you know with with help and acclaim and you know people really digging her work so that's cool mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, speaking of feeling the, the presence of Harriet Tubman, um, you actually celebrated the premiere in D.C. at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture amongst her possessions. Yeah. Um, how did that feel? Amazing. Okay, so we're in the Smithsonian, like, probably a year before, and it was kind of when we were, the script was being written and yeah. everything. And um, it, she she was like, oh, man, I can't wait to get some of the Harriet stuff yeah, in this. And yeah. now Harriet's like, some of the stuff from the movie, the costumes in the movie are going to be put in the Smithsonian. It's like so crazy. It's like we've made now. Yeah, now you are a, like we part, part of that of, history. Yeah, yeah you're, you're a part, part of, of that piece. Yeah, it's crazy. How do you think we can continue to honor the, the legacy uh, of Harriet Tubman today and to celebrate her? Well, I think go see the movie, number one. Um, And then I think, like, do your research. I think we only get the privilege of knowing her kind of on a surface level instead of really digging deep on, like, who this human was and why she is so important. Um, We know her, but we don't, like, really know Mm. her. And I think to know her would be really beneficial for all of us. Yeah. What do you hope folks take away from the movie? Um, I'm going to steal something my dad said. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really think that people should... uh, let go and let like a higher power kind of guide them and um, be selfless. I mean, Harriet Tubman was one of the most selfless people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if she can do something so amazing in a time where that just wasn't a thing, I think that we can do amazing things in a time period where we do have the ability to do stuff and make a Mm -hmm. change. And I think we should go out, you know, and do something, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, I think that is the perfect note to end our conversation on. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Check out Henry's scene-stealing performance in Harriet in theaters now. Up next, as we approach 2020, our team of hosts break down the best of the decade. Believe it or not, we are quickly approaching the end of the decade. And you know what that means? Time to feel old and fight (laughs) over the best and worst things that are created in this era because that's what you do when the decade ends. Mm -hmm. To do our part in the great debate, Every Friday, we will have a roundtable discussion to pick what we feel is the best of the decade. This week's segment will focus on the best reality show. And here to fight, I mean, um, debate with me (laughs) over this are Alex 
and Chantal, who you guys both have been seeing to killing host in the show today. And here to join us today is Hayes Brown as hey. well. Hello, Hayes. Hey, I'm here. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight, <laughs> too. Let's go, y'all. All right, well, let's get into this. So here are the rules. The way we're going about this is... This decade is the 2010, so 2010 to 2019. Mm. However, we are making the show can have started in 2009, 2008. The rule is that the majority has mm. to have taken place in this decade. Mm-hmm. So sorry to Flavor of Love making the band and all the mother fans. This ain't it. That's a different mm. decade. <laughs> all right, Chantal, we're okay. gonna start with you. What are your I'll top really taking you three. on a journey here? Let's go to the hood. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Black Ink Crew didn't see it coming. How do you no. get right with you? Listen, it's a guilty pleasure. Okay, mm-hmm. then we have Real Housewives of New York. Okay, okay, and okay. And then we have Real Housewives of Atlanta. My ah, top three. two My points top for three. Bravo. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'm not mad. I'm not mm-hmm. mad. Hey. Okay, so here we go. We've got Vanderpump Rules. I'm gonna put that up there more near the top. Okay. We have Japanese import Terrace House. Wow. I know. I'll talk wow more about this in a second. And then British import The Great British Bake Off. International. Okay. Known on the microphone okay. is okay. Hayes Brown. Okay. Yep. okay. Yeah. Alex. Okay, so choosing between a Real Housewives franchise is like choosing between my favorite children. So I had to go with New York because it is like the Shakespearean drama that we all need. Um, <laughs> then I chose RuPaul's Drag Race mm-hmm. because of its mm-hmm. impact on our culture at large. And then I chose one that is near and dear to my heart. The Real L Word, which was all about oh. lesbians uh-huh. behaving so badly. <laughs> it only aired from 2010 to 2012. The Real I am the target. Yes, yes. Okay, can I give you guys mine? Yes. yes. Okay, so, so mine are Real Housewives of Atlanta. Okay. I watch every single Housewives franchise, mm-hmm. but to me, one reigns supreme clearly. Mm-hmm. I also picked. Um, Keeping up with the Kardashians. Strong. Yes. Strong. Say what you will about them girls, but they impacted the shit out of the 2010s. They, and they it's have, really been on forever. Um, and Love and Hip Hop. Oh, wow. If I, and I, it was hard to pick a city, but I had to go with Atlanta okay. if we're talking about the biggest impact. Because let's not forget in the dead center of the 2010s, Love and Hip Hop okay. was everything. Okay. 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 So let's okay. So let's figure out what we're gonna eliminate okay. in this debate. Let's start there because we have to narrow this down to four. Oh, we're gonna try to do that at least. So we already have two votes for the housewife shows. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna we gonna bank we those. Keep them there. Okay. What can we eliminate first? Oh no! Make Don't sure that I suggest the L word. I mean, drag go ahead. me. We don't vote it. I get it. Okay. Fine. Okay. Sorry. Cool. Cool. Sorry. Cool. 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 I'm going to turn to you, Okay. <laughs> How do we feel about the British Bake Off? I feel like that is an international sensation. It, thank I feel you. like that, <laughs> thank that you. show has crossed over it now. It does, in fact. State. It does. And I gave a little watch, and I might say I agree with you there. That's thank you. Thank you. It's so calming. You watch it, and you watch I their know. struggles. But you're like, you know what? I want everyone to win. But is it the best? Is it the best? Yes. Out of all these shows, we have to narrow it down to four. To yeah, four? Oh, jeez. Uh, okay. Is it the best of what we've mentioned right here? Okay, so I think for of, like, we don't, we have barely any reality competition shows in this, like, I mix, do, I think. And I think that true. of those things, Bake Off, it broke the mold a little for the competition show and that people watch it because it's kind of nice, but people are still, like, fighting it out over bakes. So yeah. I think that it should get to move forward, personally. Okay, I mean, another competition show that broke the mold is RuPaul's Drag Race. It That's did. also That's true. Because Lord knows I felt like that thing was coming out every other month. Absolutely. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. 38th yeah. season. They have so many all-stars. Okay. <laughs> it's been 84 okay. years. Okay, there's 800 all-stars every damn season. Okay, I think that should be in the top three. I rest my If we have to take the... Okay, we're taking out... If, between competition shows, we got to move Drag Race up 
Uh, Competent baking is yeah. out there. Okay, so sorry, fine. Hayes. All right, it's tough though. That okay, one okay. that I do really enjoy that I want to bring up because I know it's a fan favorite is Vanderpump Rules. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, man. Vanderpump Rules is a sleeper hit in the 2010s, I think, <laughs> yeah. because it kind of was kind of crazy and it just rose from the, the messy Hollywood ashes of like <laughs> friendships and situationships mm-hmm. and everybody sleeping people with sleep each with other. other and people sleep with other people. And then still be, I think that what gets me about Vanderpump Rules is that they're all real friends. Yes, actually. real friends. Yeah. And you know what? They keep doing all these terrible things. Growth. There's growth on that show in the later Yes. They, own, they own homes now. They right? own homes. Like, like, Stassi is a human. Stassi yeah. went from season one being Stassi like the devil exactly. to an yeah. actual person, human, and I love that shit. It's wonderful. And no one currently works in the restaurant. It's all a show. No one is actually <laughs> doing a bar. I hate that. It's fake water. It's not no one's damn serving. But anything. is it better than? Black and crew or love and hip hop. Mm. Now I no. do think oh, I do think we should put love and hip hop in black okay. and crew because those are the VH1 shows. Yes. yes, one of them can only one can stay. I will have to say love and hip hop. Atlanta Rain Supreme from Black and Crew. I do. I agree. I agree. I agree. Laid the groundwork for all the for us to have a black and crew. Mm-hmm. So we have to give honor. Okay. And it gave us Jocelyn Hernandez. Okay. It gave us Hey May. Hey May. Hey May. You can do what outfit. It gave us Kay Michelle who went on to have a huge career. Can we talk about it? And Mona. Scott Young, woman behind this huge, yes. humongous franchise that has really taken over. And the then 2010s. we got Love and Hip Hop New York and with Cardi B. Gave us okay. Cardi B. I'm, I'm sold. Then. Okay, yeah, y'all have like okay. reached so, consensus on so, this issue. So, so Love and Hip Hop is moving. So so far we work. have Atlanta, New York, Vanderpump Rules, um, and Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, and we haven't even talked about the Kardashians. But, yet. Oh God, Ooh, this is uh, the hardest. Gosh. I do. Feel Are we like going to get to four by the end of the segment? We, I have I mean, doubts. I think we can do We're it. We're at five right now. Exactly. So Kardashians. Did you just say Drag Race? What? Oh, six. Okay, so here's the I'm, thing. Well, here's the thing about the Kardashians. I mean, the impact is just. Yes. It's crossed over into mm-hmm. our daily news cycle right. more than any other reality show out there. Like, okay. those women have really become millionaires and mm-hmm. set a whole platform. I really think that deserves. And right. As a black woman, y'all know I have conflicts about how they made their millions Absolutely. and how they made their impact. So the but head-to-head is Vanderpump Rules versus Kardashians. That's what we have to do. Uh, I can't I think cry. The Kardashians has to Kardashians take it, have, even though I love, them, yes. I love those pump kids. I love the pump kids. But we got to give credit to the OGs. If it wasn't for the Kardashians, well, we have Vanderpump. Calabasas, I mean, honestly. Okay, so what between... Kardashians, New, we have New York, Atlanta, RuPaul's Drag Race. Do we do, do we think that Ooh. New York and Atlanta solidly deserve to be in the top four? Again, Ooh. this is like making me choose between my favorite children. I believe that they both should they be deserve. in the top four. And okay, let me give my plug for The yeah. Real Housewives of New York. Okay, Please do. We got an episode recently where they were literally in a boat that almost <laughs> happened. Oh, that was in a good one. Okay, in that an episode in, in which they all got like food poisoning oh and there was like oh a, a human excrement on the floor. I mean, storyline. Ramona line. Singer. Everything. Okay, Ramona Singer. Okay, Louis exactly. got <laughs> a good story has a hero, it has a villain. We have Bethany and, Frankel, we have Luann, mm-hmm. and a court gesture in Ramona. A court gesture! Every, every single element Ramona okay. is going to come down from the Upper West Side. Ramona's on If you want to be on the show, Ramona, and defend yourself, come on to A and to DM. Yeah, sure, but also, what other show do you know where you can make a diss record, you can talk about each other, make a break bread and go to dinner? All of them. There you go. The way you record is something called Money Can't Buy You Okay, there you go. My favorite thing about New York is how, if you remember the beginning, they all started as like these uppity, bougie, classy, yes. married women. They did. Uh-huh. And then over the course of the decade, 
divorces, okay. children left the it's house, like, and then these, these girls walled it out. Sonya they they got this ratchet that's loving yep. hip-hop on yep. the low. Like, yep. they were Someone, out okay, here. Uh, may I draw your attention to one of the season's finales where a woman with a prosthetic leg took it off and threw it at someone else. You know what? You're so, right. Okay. This is not for wow. I, I mean, <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Ooh, you could try. Wow, and I just and, lost and, and, all and, my choices. And, and, I just all of and that's not so even her, including Scary yeah. Island. No, it's not including Scary Island. Go to sleep. It's the this best. Is the iconic Bethany Frank Nobody line. vacations like the New York girl. No, no, Nobody no vacations. Uh. like the, But you know who does every... New York owns vacations and they have all of that. But I do think Atlanta is the only city that trumps New York. Ooh. Okay, that's my... A, it's the number most viewed one. That's a fact. Okay. If you look at the thing, like Atlanta has the stats. most coverage. I'm bringing receipts. <laughs> Google, Google it. It's the number one watch one. Also, I do think it's it's really amazing to me what it did for Atlanta because mm-hmm. a lot of these other shows now mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. in Atlanta yes. are because of the Housewives, right? And I mean, Nene Leaks, mm-hmm. the gift Tr- that keeps on giving. Sheree yeah. shifting a wig. Oh Kim Zosiak's wigs. Chateau Sheree. Oh Chateau Sheree. She bought Sheree. All the businesses bought <laughs> that Sheree. That's never got made. I'm losing track. Who are we trying to cut out right now? Who, okay. like, where we're are we just, standing I think, right now? So, I think we're just talking yeah. about why the number ones, I mean, why the mm-hmm. top ones are in there. So okay, we have okay, Atlanta, okay. we have New York. Okay. We have Kardashians. Are we trying to play Atlanta and New York that we're doing right oh, now? Oh, I think. I think if, are, are we going to say New York and Atlanta are the top two? I I'm comfortable. So. Can we get I that far? Even yeah. with the Kardashians? Yeah. Okay, I'm just making sure. I would say New York, Kardashians, Atlanta. Ooh. Ooh. Interesting. We're talking about cultural impact of That's the nine of the not nineties, but this decade. This decade, you think New York see? had more impact than Atlanta? Here's why I think Atlanta had more impact because the Atlanta ladies are more relatable. I think New York ladies are crazy within themselves and they're more entertaining. Mm. Yeah, but Atlanta really spread out. It got a lot of exhilarated people famous. Like you have all the hairdressers who are now like yes, on their true. various shows. That's true. It went Phrases. through. More, it went through like the women who were on there. I think have gone on to be more famous in their own right mm-hmm. versus just like a spectacle that we like I to mean, watch. We have Bethany Frankel with you know. Bethany her, is the only one, yeah. All of the stuff that the she's doing, one. but the rest okay. of them, I don't, I don't know. know the rest of them. Okay, okay, guys. You Sonia, Sonia oh. had a toaster cookbook Sonia that did. never came out. Sonia so, did, you know. but I mean, I'm just saying. Can't I mean? Listen, we could be here all day, <laughs> but Kenya and Portia's battle of the damn okay, uh, okay, the damn okay. ones, yeah. I just I, I, also, all I know is that I lost, so I'm just gonna let y'all fight over these. Phaedra alone, I have to bring up Phaedra. alone, I have to bring up Phaedra. Phaedra, that line with the in the nobody's giving the reunion. Let's bring it up. Okay, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you for reminding us about all of this. Okay, so you guys at home, I'm gonna put the call out for you guys to help us decide between New York and Atlanta. Which Real Housewives franchise was the best? Also, if you feel like one of your shows got canceled out. Let us know that. Take it all to the timeline using the hashtag AM to DM. We want to hear your your passion, your anger, your choices. <laughs> Sorry to Hayes. Just, just Sorry like to this man. None of my choices got this. Sorry to this man None. who lost None. all of his choices today. It's fine. I don't care Better anymore. Better luck next time. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, we can really debate this all day, but we are out of time, unfortunately. We will see you next week with our next category. And up next, Alex and Chantal are reading your tweets. Welcome back. That was really fun. That Keep was going. Fun. And Keep I changed going. my mind again. Like, I'm just like, wow, Atlanta deserved more, better. Like, the higher <laughs> ranking. I'm like, Atlanta, my bad. You deserve, like, number one. Okay, one or two. Atlanta. I still can't I mean, decide. It's, it's, it is really difficult. Oh, my gosh. So, they, they're also, yeah. like, wow. Yeah. Impact. So, also good. Well, we asked you for your top reality shows of the decade. Stuart Simmington tweeted, definitely RuPaul's Drag Race. 
Close second would be Love and Hip Hop, New York City because it delivered us Cardi B. Think Queer Eye and Rhythm and Flow on Netflix when the MVP for the last few years, yes, could talk about this topic in particular forever. Have to say, also Queer Eye, Rhythm and Flow is also really good, but oh, those yes. are late entries. Yeah, they're late the entries. Need so. longevity. The ones that have yeah. really stood the test of time for sure. So it's still tough to decide. All right, and CD added all the Real Housewives franchises, best reality show of the decade. Same, but it's hard yeah. to just decide which one you know takes the, the top. You know, I mean, spot. I, I'm at least glad that we have consensus that Atlanta and New York Absolutely. are the best. Those are the top. Beverly Hills, I would say, is maybe the third place. See, that's where I, would, no, okay, I don't know right. about that. I don't know about Beverly Hills. Be, <laughs> we asked, do you remember the exact moment you became a Beyonce fan? Palomata tweeted, 100%. I saw Beyonce with Destiny's Child on Showtime at the Apollo. They performed No, 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 and it was stuck in my head for days. Wow, iconic. Yeah. I must have missed the invite to that show. Wow, okay. Oh, okay. Well, anywho, well, great show today. <laughs> so much fun. Yes, thank you to our guests, Eddie Baird, Hayes Brown, Alex Shepard, Henry Hunter Hall, and Karen Pittman. Next week, we've got Kenya Moore, Manny Jacinto, Hassan Minaj, and Soledad O'Brien. And thank you to Chantal for co-hosting with me this week. I'll be back here on Monday with Zach at 10 a.m. Have a great weekend. <laughs>